The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am all alone. Dave's not here. Oh, I'm crushed. But uh, you got me today. It's going to be great. We got so much great stuff. Uh, Just a jam-packed music indie artist extravaganza. It's going to be so cool. We got great topics. We have great guests. I'm so excited. Uh, But first... Let's go through some housekeeping. If you want to connect with the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe us. We really, really depend on your support. Um, You can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. We really count on those subscriptions. Uh, That way you don't have to dig around and know what time on Sunday the podcast is coming up. You just subscribe and boom, that podcast gets right on your mobile device or however you listen to podcasts. And we'd really appreciate that. So if you haven't subscribed to us on some platform yet, just, just make it happen. You know, you know, go ahead and uh, get that going. If you want to reach out to the podcast and we would very much enjoy that you do, the show is better and better. The more listener interaction we get. And I love getting your emails. And if you've ever emailed this show, you know, I respond to every single email you can, even when there's just so damn many of them, uh, you can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. That's breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. You can follow my co-host Dave, who's uh, up in New York having a good time, uh, at MetalDave85. When you reach out to us, whether it's by Twitter or by email, oh, I should also mention you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash breakthebusiness. When you reach out to us on any of those platforms, including email, you can send us questions that you want us to answer on the show. We actually have a great listener question this week that we're going to talk about. You can uh, just say hi if there's a pop culture topic you want us to talk about because we love talking about the pop culture around here. Uh, You can do all that stuff by reaching out to us at, again, breakthebusiness at gmail.com, following me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, following my co-host at MetalDave85, and liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash breakthebusiness. Our guest this week, I'm so excited to have her on again, Rory Kelly of Go Girls Music. She's a fantastic artist in her own right great musician prolific puts out a ton of great material we've had her on in the past she's a great interview but where she really really shines and again her music is fantastic but where she really shines is in her advocacy work fighting for the place of women in independent music and in music generally she's the executive director of go girls music Uh, she's always providing more resource and advocacy for women in the music industry and we love having her on because she's so insightful Uh, and she's going to talk about go girls latest project which is the ladies in the house online music festival Uh, That festival is currently looking for female indie musicians to join their festival, or if you're a band with at least one female member, you can take part in the festival. This is a cool opportunity, and you can check out that interview in the next segment. You can find out how you can be a part of it. Um, See, we like to, you know, know, we don't just love to give information around here. We love to just amplify opportunities for you. If there's a great opportunity out there that I find out about, I want to let you guys know about it, and this is going to be a great one. The Ladies in the House Online Music Festival uh, you can. It's going to be a concert window festival, so you can be part of this uh, great campaign that will not only elevate you as an artist, but will help 
create advocacy for women in the music industry. Quick note about this interview. We recorded it beforehand. There are some slight technical issues. I want to just let get you that out on the front end. The, the content's still good, and Rory is still fantastic, but... Um, my dear Skype computer, which has served us capably throughout our podcasting expedition, um, I think is busted. We don't know what's going on, but I, I had to update Skype for, cause they wouldn't let me use the old version anymore. And for some reason, the moment I updated Skype, the whole thing went to crap. Uh, the guests couldn't hear me on Skype. And so I had to record the whole thing with my cell phone patched right into the board and you can hear her. It's not great, perfect quality, but the... The substance of what she says is still great, and we will work diligently to make sure those issues are fixed for next week because we want to give you guys the best possible product. But again, that's Rory Kelly coming up in the next segment. You do not want to miss it. And we've been getting so many listener emails about this, and so I I want to uh, bring this up next before we get into some of the topics for this week. The Oscars pool. It's funny. we, We talk about so much music industry stuff on this podcast we give out so many tips but for some reason the thing you guys care about more than that is the damn treadmill bet that dave and i had last week on the podcast so let me catch you up if you didn't listen last week um first of all the oscars were crazy how crazy was the end of that with the best picture and it and it's la la land and then nope just kidding it's moonlight which was you know a better movie so you know justice was served there but uh, we're going to talk about La La Land a little bit later because there was some, I just saw it last night and it was pretty good. But either way, it was a crazy Oscars, but everybody who listens to this show seemed to care a lot more about this treadmill bet that Dave and I had than the actual substance we discuss on our podcast. So what happened was Dave and I had a bet last week where we would each pick all 24 of the Oscars categories and try to pick the winners. And whichever one picked the fewest winners between the two of us would have to do an entire segment while on the treadmill that we have in the studio. I have a treadmill in the studio, and the idea would be that one of us would have to do the whole segment while running on it, and so we would sound out of breath the whole time, and it would be very embarrassing for whoever had to do it. It would probably affect the quality of the show because I use a lot of notes on my computer when I talk, and so if I don't have my notes in front of me, it's going to get messy, and so I really did not want to lose this bet. And since, since I imagine since so many of you emailed and, and wrote to us on Twitter, you're probably wondering who won this damn bet. Well, here's how it turned out. I have the final results. I calculated them. I got 16 out of 24 categories right. Dave got 16 out of 24 categories right. So we tied. It was a tie. It was dead even. It was a dead heat. Even... When they did the photo finish and recorded it, we were exactly the same. And so I guess that means that next week, neither of us have to go on the treadmill. We both win. But I imagine that's going to be unsatisfying for you listeners, because the way that you were all communicating, you wanted somebody to have to suffer. And but now no one has to suffer unless unless like we have to do something where if we tie, like maybe both of us has to do one segment on the treadmill. We have to figure this out. Um, and on one hand, I kind of want to be like, well, let's let the listener decide. Maybe the listeners can decide who, what we have to do in the event of a tie. Like, do we each have to do one segment on the treadmill or do we just say nobody has to go on the treadmill? And I kind of want to let the listeners decide, but frankly, I don't know if I want to let you guys decide because 
you're going to make us run on the damn treadmill. Like, you're, there's no way you guys are going to be like, oh, no, no, it was a tie. Nobody has to do it. You all want blood. I've read your emails. You want us to suffer. And so I kind of don't want to put this in your hands. But, you know, and, and, and I really don't want to do this. Like, again, I like having my notes in front of me. I, I take meticulous notes before each podcast. I bring a lot of information to you. And if I can't, like, and if I have to do this without notes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a mess. But you don't care about any of that. You just want Dave and I to suffer, you animals. All right. Well, anyway, that's the Oscars pool. I'm, you know, it was it was a tie. Um, in case you're wondering, um, uh, I got best makeup, best sound mixing, best editing, and best actor. And Dave didn't get those. But Dave got best animated film, best foreign language film, best original song, and best original screenplay. And I didn't get those. So we each got twelve of the same right. And each of us got four of them correctly differently, but it was a complete tie. All right. So we got a listener email this week, and I really enjoyed this email. Uh, we got a few about potential topics, but this guy wrote a great email, and I wanted to read it on the show. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, wanted to answer it because I think it'd make a great topic for this show. It was It's sort of a continuation on what we discussed last week. Last week, Dave and I talked about some potential changes to copyright law that affect indie artists and how artists should react to them. Uh, one of the two changes that we discussed is how songwriters are currently underpaid by streaming companies like Spotify and Pandora, Apple Music. And the reason why songwriters are paid art, you know, you know, underpaid is because of antiquated government regulations. So the two ways that songwriters get paid by Spotify for each stream are through mechanical license royalties and through public performance royalties. And both of those are set artificially low by government regulation, where if songwriters and publishing companies actually got to negotiate in a free market transaction with Spotify, the way labels do for the ownership of the actual sound recording, then the songwriters would do better. They would make more money. And so um, that's kind of what we talked about. And it, this discussion was a great one. We got a lot of great feedback on it. You guys are really interested in the policy and the laws that affect your livelihood. And that shows me that you guys are really on top of your stuff. So yay listeners for taking inventory of your career and the things that are important. Um, and this one listener asked a great question, uh, sort of continuing that conversation. He wrote, when you guys were talking about writers royalties with streaming, it made me want to hear you guys discuss the following. Spotify and others always claim that if they were forced to pay a more equitable royalty, they would go out of business. Given that there is a tension between legal availability of music via YouTube, Spotify, etc., and illicit downloading, how can we both support access to all the music ever created, you know, getting basically anything you want over streaming, while still helping support artists being able to make a living from their art? Or is this just a phase and are we just going back to people doing it in their spare time? Man, that's a great question. It is one that artists are wrestling with. It's one that labels are wrestling with, that publishing companies are wrestling with. It's the $64,000 question in the industry right now. Um, we're all trying to figure out, as an industry, how the creators can make money while everything is so disrupted. While now we have you know fractions of a penny being paid to artists for streaming. Essentially, the market, look, the market and the consumers have spoken. Consumers are not willing anymore to pay for music by the copy. They just aren't. Streaming is the new normal. 2016 was the first year 
in which more revenue was generated via streaming than via downloading. This is the new normal now. We are in a streaming world, whether we like it or not. And since that's the case, we have to ask, and it's the question that everybody's asking, that labels are asking, that publishing companies are asking, that artists are asking, is it possible for us to have a model in which we stream music and artists are only earning fractions of a, you know, tiny fractions of a penny per stream? Can we have that model and still have an industry in which artists can still thrive and support themselves? Can both of those things exist at the same time? And you're going to hear many people give a different answer on this, but my answer to that question is an emphatic yes. I am ever the optimist about the music business. There will still be a music industry, in my view, as, as long as there are people who want to hear music and there are people willing to make music, there will always be a music industry. It may look different than what we see now, and not all of the current players not all of the businesses will survive, not, the, not all of the business models might survive, but the industry will, build, will still be there. And the one group that I can tell you will survive are the artists. The labels might fade away, the big publishing companies might fade away, you know, the Spotify's of the world might go away, the record stores, but the artists can always remain because this industry doesn't work without people who actually create something. All of the supporting players are disposable except for you the artist and again yeah the industry's changing and the old models aren't going to work the way they used to anymore um the and that can mean that the old and, and even though artists can will be the maybe the ones that will can definitely survive in this industry the old ways that artists used to support themselves in the industry you know selling albums by the copy in a music store or selling downloads on itunes those models may no longer be sustainable. And for the vast majority of artists out there, when it comes to streaming, streaming payments alone aren't going to pay the bills. It's, you just can't make the numbers work. Even if the laws change, which they should, and even if we can get artists, particularly songwriters, more money per stream, for the vast majority of artists out there, you're just not going to be able to live off of streaming income by itself and still pay the bills. It's just the the numbers don't work. And and there may be some ways that, you know, little tweaks that can be made to make things a little better for indie artists. I keep hearing people talk about how the way Spotify payments should work is instead of putting all the money in a pot and then saying, okay, your music was played, your song was played 1% of the time on Spotify, so you get 1% of the pot of revenue that Spotify collects. What people are saying should be done is that every Spotify payee, every Spotify customer should be treated as its own person. And so if, if a Spotify listener pays $10 a month and only streams one song per month, whoever that song was, that artist, you know, that, that, that artist slash songwriter, they should get all 10 of those dollars or, you know, all seven of those dollars after Spotify takes its cut. And, you know, they're saying that 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 model's better because it looks more like the old model of buying albums in stores. And it prevents a situation where the, you know, the guy who has the Spotify account only downloads once or only streams one song is no longer having to subsidize the yoga studio that's playing, you know, 50,000 songs a month because they just have the Spotify playing in the yoga studio all day. And that might help the indie artists a little bit more. But again, I still don't think... 
you're going to have a situation where the numbers are going to work out, where artists are ever going to make enough money from streaming to support themselves, unless your name is you know, Adele or something. Instead, to survive in the new music industry, artists have to embrace new revenue streams. Um, you can make it as an artist in the new music industry, and you can thrive, but you have to cast a wide net in terms of the rev- the ways you can bring in revenue as an artist. You have to open yourself up to as many ways of making money as possible. You will need to use the same internet, that, that internet which is disrupted, disrupted, yes, that's a word, disrupted the recorded music business, and find other ways to make money off your talent. And for many artists, that might get to the point where And this might seem blasphemous to some of you, but it might be the way we're going, where you as an artist might be better off giving your music away completely for free, for free, in the name of getting your music in front of as many ears as possible, because you got to build that fan base and have that tribe of people that are willing to pay into your many diverse revenue streams. That's the name of the game. And so a model like Noise Trade, Derek Webb's platform, which is all about giving your music away for free in exchange for getting the email addresses of your listeners once they download your music, and then using that email list to kind of cultivate a strong tribe, that might be the way to go, where you don't want to close your music off to people who are willing to pay for it. You want to get that music out there. That music is essentially a commercial for you. It's an advertisement. It's a loss leader to build that fan base and have people that are willing to support your other revenue streams. Well, what can those revenue streams be? Well, they're, 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 they're countless, uh, traditional crowdfunding Kickstarter. So instead of trying to make your money after you make your project by selling it by the copy, build that fan base and see if they're willing to support you creating your album in the first place. You create a Kickstarter campaign for your album. You can raise a lot of money to not only pay for the album to be created, but also to pay for you to live while you're making that album and, you know, give you a nice a fee for your services. And so you can get the money on the front end and then distribute that music for free if you want to after you get your money. Um, Or the more ongoing crowdfunding platforms can be useful in terms of expanding your revenue streams. A platform like Patreon that we've talked about on the show a bunch of times. We've talked to Jack Conte, the founder of Patreon, in a previous episode of this podcast. Go check out that episode again. A lot of great stuff there. As we've said before, Jack Conte thinks that his platform could be the future of the industry where um, basically artists will go back to the old patron based model where they can get their fans to basically give them money for every YouTube video they create or just for every month that they're out creating art. And so you basically have your fans subsidizing and patronizing your career and giving you a steady stream of income. And if you can build a strong tribe of fans that are devoted to you, you can get that kind of support on Patreon. Uh, selling merchandising. It's easier than ever to sell merchandise now and use that as a revenue stream thanks to online platforms and print-on-demand uh, platforms, things like that. And finally, and we'll talk about this in the next segment with Rory Kelly because she loves using this stuff, online concerts, stage it, concert window. There are artists who are making a f- good living just by doing concerts on stage it where they... You know, they can have a concert online, have people watch them all over the world. You can put a tip jar and people can, you know, tip. You can have them pay for requests like you're a piano bar. You can even charge tickets if you wanted to on some of these platforms. And there are artists who are doing really well um, using the online concert platforms like Stage It. And it can be a really exciting platform for your fans if you're always, you know, if you can't reach 
where all your fans are because they, they're too dispersed throughout the country or you can't afford to go where your fans are or it's not economic economical for you to go where a certain part of your fan base is because there's just not enough fan bases fans in that city. Uh, you can use a platform like Stage It to bring all your fans together online and have them check out a show for you. So there are so many opportunities out there where even if streaming makes the rev- potential revenue stream value of your recorded music very small, there are other ways that you can make a fantastic career for yourself. You can survive the changes in this industry. But here's the caveat, and there is a caveat here. It is really hard to make the numbers work, even with the expanded revenue streams, if you are signed to a traditional record deal or you're signed to any contract where someone is taking a huge chunk of your earnings off the top. The pie is smaller now. There's just no way around that. There's not as much money in the music industry as there used to be. And that doesn't mean you can't make a good living. You can make a great living. You can possibly even make a greater living than you were able to 20 years ago thanks to the advancements in the internet and all these great opportunities that are out there in crowdfunding and merchandising and online concerts and things like that. But you can't make that living if you're cutting big slices out of your smaller pie to these big content companies. you got to keep as much of that as possible. You have to take control of your career. All right, Rory Kelly coming up next. Thank you so much for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is an indie musician and an executive director of Go Girls Music, an organization dedicated to promoting opportunities and providing resources for women in music. Go Girls Music is currently partnering with the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance to create the Ladies in the House online music festival, which is currently seeking participants until March 19th. You can find out more information about Go Girls on Twitter by following them at Go Girls Music. Ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to welcome back Rory Kelly on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, Rory. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be back on the podcast. Oh, it's great to have you, Rory. Uh, Last time we had you on, we were sharing good times, getting some great advice, smashing the patriarchy together. It was it was a blast. And so glad to have you on again. I'm really glad to be here. This is awesome. So for the listeners who are new to the podcast, who haven't had a chance to experience you yet, can you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and your music? Yeah, um, I am a Lady Beast musician. That's how I define what I do, which to me really just means I, uh, I'm a very powerful sounding person and I have my own unique sound and I'm very committed to sharing music that empowers women and also is very honest about the experiences that I've had as a woman that people face really as a human as well. But I think sometimes it's very important to highlight uh, that unique experience that women deal with that men don't necessarily, you know, have an awareness of. Oh, well, that's a, that's a, a great point. And you've spoken a lot about the difficulties that women experience when trying to move their careers forward in the music industry. And, uh, uh, piggybacking off what you just said, can you, what are some of the examples in your own experience or in the experience of women you've worked with, 
um, that can give us an idea of what it can be like for women out there in the industry? Thank you for asking that. I was actually just at a music conference yesterday. It was the um, Intercollegiate Broadcasting System Conference, so college radio. And the really cool thing was I was speaking with women there. There were a couple of women who were live casting, and it was like three or four different women all running the station. And we spoke about the difficulties as a woman where first people don't, they assume you don't know what you're doing, you know, so there's this kind of tendency to kind of condescend a little and talk down and say, oh, let me, let me get that sound for you. Let me explain to you how to do this, where perhaps you already have those skills. But the bigger impact that that actually has is many women don't feel confident in claiming the skills that they do have. So they get this constant feedback that they must not know enough. So they, before they're willing to really claim any kind of confidence or value in what they do, they have a much bigger tendency to say, okay, I have to hit X, Y, and Z hurdles. I have to be super perfect before I can say things like, oh, I know how to do my own sound. And that's an experience that men don't really have. Men kind of come in and kind of just get to experience their gigs in a very ad hoc kind of way and kind of figure it out as they go. And because women are treated a little differently, we really have this feeling of I have to be absolutely letter perfect before I do my own sound or before I say that I know how to do something. I feel like women can miss out on a lot of opportunities that way as a result, because one of the things they often you know, teach in all kinds of professions is that if you wait until you feel like you're 100% prepared to do something before you do it, you're going to lose that opportunity to somebody who's 75% prepared and is willing to do learn the rest as they go on the job. And women often don't get that luxury, it sounds like. Yeah, it's certainly true. And it can also affect us actually getting the opportunity to develop those skills. So there's this trope in the in the industry that, you know, when you're a woman who walks into the room, people say, oh, what band are you singing with? You know, there's an assumption that we're not instrumentalists and there's an assumption that we're not sound people and technical people. And part of the thing really isn't about a lack of interest on the part of women. It's also that there are these lack of opportunities to learn because so much learning happens as you go. So much learning about things like sound, especially live sound and studio sound, happens because you plunge into it and you figure it out, right? You know, you just go in there and you're like, well, this sounds a little funny. Let me play around and see what I'll do. And if women are not getting those opportunities to do that because they feel so so uncertain of themselves and so unable to take a risk and try something that may or may not work because they get so shamed when they don't have that knowledge, that's a huge learning opportunity. So you have these women who feel for years and years of their career very devastated and daunted by technical things like sound and by becoming a really, really excellent instrumentalist that you don't see with men because there's more of that comfort zone if you are a you know male presenting and you're in an environment of musicians to so just be like, yeah, let me jam with you. Let me try that out. If you make a mistake as a man, it's not kind of socially punished as much. And that must make you really proud of the work you're doing with Go Girls Music because that organization is all about creating opportunities for women in music, uh, creating a community where women can interact and ask questions and bounce ideas off each other. Can you tell the folks a bit about what Go Girls Music does? Absolutely. We are the largest and oldest online community of female musicians. So we think of ourselves first and foremost of, as a community organization. Our mission statement is to connect women and empower them to help them build their careers better. So we find opportunities for our members as much as we possibly can. But part of the real value in what we offer is simply the fact of here is 
a big community that you can go into that has people at all different levels of the industry and all different levels of experience and knowledge and different topics. And you can feel comfortable saying, I'm a beginner, I don't know about this, or I'm intermediate, but here's this thing that's always stopped me from doing this at my gigs. Can anyone help me in an environment that's much more safe than when you're the only woman in a room full of dudes and you have to be you know, live and do your set in the next 10 minutes? And, so that opportunity for mentorship is there. Well, and how do you create those mentorship opportunities? I know you have the, uh, the Go Girls chat on Twitter, for example. Yeah, and we really invite all indies um, to that chat as well because that's that's open. You know, it's a safe space, but it's really open to people of all genders and all backgrounds. And that is a great chat because it gives people a chance to really compare notes and talk about what's working and what's not working and commiserate if we need to commiserate in a way that's no pressure so often as an independent musician. And I think extra if you're a woman, but in general as indies, we feel this pressure to be on, right? You know, we're a br- we're a brand. We get that constant input of like everything that you say or do is being watched, so you better look competent. And that's very stressful. It creates that same feeling where, okay, I'm not getting a chance to learn because I have to look like I already know it all. So we try to create that learning environment in our Twitter chat. And for our members, we also have a secret Facebook group that we have a lot of great discussions on. And just, you know, at our gatherings, anytime we interact with each other, we get to have that in a way that's very special. Last time we had you on the show, I asked you this question, but I, it's so important and the information can be so useful here that it warrants asking again. What can men in the industry out there do to be better allies for women in music? Thank you for asking. Um, I really think that part of it is recognizing that you have to be a little bit active. My husband and I were just talking about how people most mostly consume media and how if you are not careful about what you consume, you're going to end up consuming media that's pretty white and pretty male because of just what's thrown at you, right? You know, if you turn on the radio, if you go to the movies, if you, you know, turn on Netflix or Hulu, that's kind of what you're going to get unless you seek out those voices that are more of a minority in the industry. And women, as we know, are 50% of the population, but definitely the minority within the entertainment industry. So one of the things you can do as a, as a male trying to be an ally is really just be mindful of that. Be mindful that you're, it's, it's necessary not just to say, oh, whatever, I listen to everyone. You know, as If you're good, I love it. I listen to it. But actually to really seek out and amplify those female voices and voices of color as well, you know, voices that just don't get heard because – Otherwise, they're just not going to get it. You know, the machine is not designed to pick them up and amplify them. So we as individuals have to do that for each other. Well, it sounds like part of what men need to do, and I have to confess, this is probably something that I even I need to be better at um, when I operate in this industry or any industry is, you know, sort of check yourself on the subconscious things that we can do that can adversely affect women in the industry. Uh you know, watch the kind of, I guess, microaggression type behaviors. Uh, do you experience a lot of that out there where like, you know, men who you still very much feel are on your side can make, you know, little type of aggressions that can still set women back? Absolutely. And I think, as you say, it's very subconscious. I don't want to... I think sometimes people feel that feminists are painting with this broad brush and like, oh, well, men are just all jerks. And I don't feel that it's that way at all. I think at this point in this day and age in, you know, Western culture, there's a, a general consensus that, you know, women and men should be treated equally. 
And there's a lot of subconscious baggage that, you know, there's varying degrees of how willing people are to get into that. And I think that's what still really, you know, is keeping sexism alive. So what I tend to get is that subconscious stuff. It's stuff that comes from day-to-day conversations, things people just say without thinking about that if you really unpack, it gets pretty weird. You know, I've had I've had a lot of men say to me that it's easier for me as a woman because all I have to do is kind of stand there and look pretty and sing and I'm going to get attention, you know. And that's very that's a that's a pretty sexist remark and they they actually I've often unpacked this and said, "Well, what, you know, what makes you say that? You know, what makes you say that?" And they feel like, "Oh, well, that's very empowering. That's lucky for you." And so this is an interesting kind of type of microaggression where you see sexism at play in a way that is clearly making both men and women feel disempowered. And it's important for us to kind of unpack that and and ask ourselves why it's not okay for women to take on these roles in music and entertainment and other areas without also having to stand there and look pretty, without having to make their appearance and their attractiveness be a big component of it. And why that's such a crucial decision-making factor when you have a woman in entertainment and not so for a man. Yes. And in the same vein of empowering women and creating opportunities for women, let's talk about this great thing you got going on, the Ladies in the House Online Music Festival. Can you tell us a bit about what you're putting together and what does an online music festival look like? Um, It's awesome. Well, good. The way I have described it, because we did one of these last year, so this is the second time we're doing an online music festival. It's kind of like a, a, a virtual pub crawl. So we have all of these different people sharing music online. We use a website called Concert Window to share our music, and it's a, it's a great system. There are a couple different live streaming options, especially now people have Facebook Live and stuff like that. Concert Window is really the one that does it the best, and we're thrilled to partner with them for that reason. They have it set up so that most of the audiovisual stuff is pretty much turnkey on both ends, you know, both for the person broadcasting and the person receiving. There's not a lot of hassle for you to get a good look and a good sound and to make sure that you can get, you know, the, the content that's being broadcasted. And they also have it so that as an artist, you can choose how you want to monetize your show just as you would if you're playing out in the live setting. So you can do a free show, you can have a tip jar, you know, you can set it up and say, hey, if you, you know, if you throw $5, I'll play whatever song you want, you know, in the jar type of thing. You can do tickets, you know, you can really do anything. So I think people enjoy that um, flexibility that Concert Window offers, which is really not there on like Facebook Live. Oh, big fan of that platform. Uh, I, a lot of artists I know use it and they love its flexibility. They love the, the turnkey aspect of it, as you said, very user friendly. And I've encountered many artists who've been able to build a pretty good career for themselves just from the you know live performance online sphere. It's really cool. Uh, you're actually looking for participants to join in this festival right now. What sort of uh, folks are you looking for, and how can they be part of this? Thank you for asking. Yeah, we want to get as many women as possible in on this. Um, this is called Ladies in the House, so it is a, a female-powered event. It's four women who are putting this together, two of us, myself, and my partner, Delia Stanley, who are the co-executive directors of Go Girls, and two women who are very involved in leadership at NERFA, which is the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance. So we're putting this together. It's all women-powered from us. And to submit, we ask that you have a, a paid-up membership with either of us, with Folk Alliance or with Go Girls, and that you have at least one 
female member of your act. So we're not requiring all female membership because we feel that's really exclusive. You know, if someone is a female, you know, in a band and ha is playing with men, there's absolutely no reason that same woman shouldn't get that benefit of empowerment. So as long as you've got a female member in your act and you are a part of our organization, we want you. That's and there's this real simple online form to fill out. That's how we're doing it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, was, I was just about to ask, how can they join if, if they wanted to join in through Go Girls? Uh, what sort of steps are there there? Well, you can go right to our homepage because we've put it right up on gogirlsmusic.com. So we have a link to the application form there. And we also have, you know, those details about the requirements and the deadline and all that. The deadline is March 19th to apply. And you can also, if you have any questions, email us. We created a special email address. It's lithfestival at gmail.com. Oh, that's awesome. I'm really excited for this festival. If there's anything I can do or this podcast community can do to help uh, amplify it even more, this just sounds excellent, and we're here for you. Thank you. We so appreciate it. You know, you've been, I love what you're doing. I love your Break the Business ethos. You know, I love how you're empowering indies with your podcast. So I really feel like you're already doing it. Thank you. Uh, oh, 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 thank you so much. And before we let you go, Rory, uh, do you have any last advice that you want to share with the indie artists out there to help them move their careers forward? I really want to just say that if you're not seeing the resources that you need, be the change you wish to see. The way that I've built over the last year or so my career and my community has been saying, I really wish I had XYZ type of group to bounce ideas off of or, you know, XYZ resource. And if it's not there, I just I just start asking around very publicly. I just start making Facebook posts and I'm like, how can we do this? It's time. You know, it's time to make this happen for all indie artists, not just me. And that's helped me tremendously just by connecting me up with people. And it's, you know, I think building the community into a better place. So be that change. You won't regret it. You can follow Rory Kelly on Twitter at Rory Kelly, and you can follow Go Girls on Twitter at Go Girls Music. Rory, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure, as it always is. Thank you so much, Ryan. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Rory Kelly for joining us in the previous segment. I have enjoyed having her on both times. She's fantastic. You can follow her on Twitter, at Rory Kelly, and you can follow her organization, Go Girls, by following at Go Girls Music on Twitter. And if you are interested in taking part in the Ladies in the House online music festival, we'll go ahead and put that sign-up form in the show description of this episode. Uh, you should definitely take advantage of it. Again, if you are a female musician or part of a music group with at least one female member in it. You are eligible to participate in the Ladies in the House online music festival. You should definitely check that out. All right. Now, in the third segment, we usually talk about pop culture. And I'm a little worried because my pop culture compatriot, Dave, is not in this week. And so I got to talk pop culture on my own. I, you know, it's weird kind of just because I can talk to myself about the music industry all day. And I'm fine with that. I, but... You know, pop culture, I love pop culture, but, you know, I always found pop culture discussions sort of to be a team sport. But 
I'm going to, I'll try my best here. Cause I know y'all love the pop culture. You know, if, if it's just us talking music all day, you're going to get bored. We got to, we got to outgrotten the broccoli a little bit with some fun pop culture talk. So I'm going to try my best here. Let's talk a little bit more about the Oscars, Oscars, um, and just movies. We know we love movies. And, um, I did say that, uh, I, you know, I've seen La La Land last night. So now I can say I've seen Moonlight. I've seen La La Land and I think Moonlight did rightfully win best picture, but La La Land was a cool movie. I finally got around to seeing it and, it was it was marvelous. Like the fact that I think Moonlight was the better movie for Best Picture should not detract from the fact that La La Land was really enjoyable for me. It was it was a it was a great movie. And if you haven't seen it, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I do not want to deprive you of experiencing this movie unspoiled. So don't worry about that. Don't you know? Don't click off your podcast in frustration because I'm about to you know blow this movie for you. No, you're good. Um, but I do want to discuss some themes from that movies from that movie because as I was watching the film, I could not help but think about indie musicians and about the stuff that we talk about on this podcast. And so even though Moonlight to me was the better movie, La La Land resonated more with me because of the work I do and the artists that I work with and care about. And I'll say this about La La Land. If you are a musician or you're just some kind of artist trying to achieve success, this movie is going to speak to you in a way that other movies don't necessarily do. So um, if you don't really know what it's about, uh, it's a, you know, you have these two characters um, played by Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Um, he is a guy trying to make it as a jazz musician. She's trying to make it as a Hollywood actress. And, um, you know, they have this love story that, you know, they, they fall in love as they're trying to achieve success in their own fields and, you know, things happen and which I will not spoil because again, we're not spoiling the movie. We're just talking about the themes. That's what I promised. Um, but I'll say this about the movie, despite what you might think from seeing the trailers of this movie and from, if you've seen little clips of it, I fully and truly believe that La La Land is not a love story. It is not. That is, I, 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 I will die on this hill. If you have not seen this movie again, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I, but I will say that. And I believe it. La La Land is not a love story. I'm convinced of this. Don't let the fact that the poster for the movie has Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling dancing happily together fool you. It's not a love story. It's so much more interesting than that. La La Land is a story about dreams and I'm not going to pretend like I'm the first one to make that statement about La La Land being a story about dreams. Um, I actually kind of ripped that off slightly from uh, Mikey Nauman of Movies with Mikey, um, who is so good at analyzing movies. Um, if you are looking for a new YouTube show to fall in love with, check out Movies with Mikey on YouTube. I don't know the guy. You know, he's not paying me. This is just me just doing a plug for a guy who does great stuff. Movies with Mikey on YouTube, he, the way he talks about movies and, you know, he's gotten me to think about movies in a way I've never had before. And, you know, he's talked a lot about that, that La La Land is a movie about dreams. It, but, you know, I, and I'm telling you, it's not a love story. Um, it merely uses a love story, La La Land does, as the backstop, or as a backdrop, I should say, <clears throat> to discuss that greater theme that it's about dreams. This is a story about dreams and specifically La La Land is about the costs of achieving your dreams. The lesson is a powerful one for you as an artist. 
Achieving your dreams is hard. It's really, really hard. Listen to me, artists. It takes hard work. It takes sacrifices. If you want to make your dreams come true in the entertainment business, you have to delay gratification. You might even have to sacrifice completely certain parts of gratification to make your dreams come true. It is a fight to make these things happen for yourself. You have to give up things that make you happy. You may even have to give up people that make you happy. And that's what La La Land is really about. The things that you sacrifice to achieve something bigger than your here and your now. And it's great that this lesson is coming from a movie because really to the extent that we don't believe that our dreams require work, it's because movies have reinforced that idea for us. How many movies do we watch where the characters get what they want and their dreams come true simply because they want them to come true, simply because they wished for it to be so and they never had to fight and kick and scratch and lose things and sacrifice things. And so to hear a movie finally tell you the real story about what it means for your dreams to come true, which is sacrifice. It is losing things that matter. It's losing people that matter. Um, that's really refreshing. That's kind of why I really liked La La Land. And so the lesson of this movie has real world meaning for you as an indie artist. Again, as I was watching La La Land, I couldn't help but think about what we talk about on this show for indie artists. And you got to remember this, achieving your dreams in music and whatever your dreams are. Because again, the, one of the cool things about this music industry is that the path to stardom can be so, can, can be winding and it can lead off in so many different directions. It's not, you know, stardom used to just mean sell a lot of records, tour a lot, make money sell more records, tour a lot, make money. And it doesn't look that way anymore. For artists, it can mean different things. You can, you can achieve your dreams by uh, doing Patreon, or you can do your dreams by you know, doing Kickstarter campaigns, or you can be the kind of person who uses Stage It and Concert Window and make a lot of money that way. There's so many ways uh, to achieve success in the music industry thanks to the advancements in technology um, it's an exciting time to be an artist, but no matter how you achieve those dreams, however you do it, whatever your dreams are, it's going to take hard work, really hard work. It will take sacrifice. And in the music world, that means you're going to be working when your friends are enjoying life. Your friends are going to want to see you. They're going to want to go out with you. They're going to want to hang out and you have to work because you're going to be working your eight hours to support yourself at whatever job you have. And then the moment you're off the clock at that job, you're working on your music career. You're doing your social media. You're making your content. You're networking. You're building your email list. You're building your website, your crowdfunding campaign. You're listening to podcasts about music. You're reading books. You're building your connections. All the things that you have to do, those things take time. And so, and you will not be hanging out with your friends as much. And it's going to mean work, you know, that the Friday and Saturday nights where your friends are going out and having a good time and, you know, pretty guys or pretty girls want to go on dates with you Friday, Saturday night, you're working and you're out in the, you know, you, cause you're, you're working when other people want to go out on dates. Cause what do people want to do when they go on dates? See music. So you're out there, you're out. That's when you're out and earning. And, um, because it's so competitive in the music industry right now. It's so much of a fight. You know, promotion is free. 
distribution is free, but the fact that they're free for you means they're free for everybody. You know, social media, TuneCore, CD Baby, all these platforms that make promotion distribution free are free for everybody, which means it's so competitive, which means if you want to cut through the clutter, you got to work twice as hard, three times as hard. You got to sacrifice. And that can mean missing out on a lot of life's simple pleasures because you're going after something that's bigger than you're here and you're now. And you're going to get frustrated and you're going to alienate people because that's what dreams require. It's a fight. And you got to be ready for that fight because as an artist, you know, you have something to say and you know that you're in this world for something bigger than just, you know, doing a normal life. And, you know, that comes with sacrifice and, you know, that's a big theme of La La Land. And so um, I think it's sort of required viewing for any kind of artist uh, in any kind of uh, artistic endeavor. And, you know, the movie has cute singing and dancing, too. And Emma Watson is a dream. And uh, Ryan Gosling is a delightful person. And, you know, J.K. Simmons is in it for a bit. And who doesn't like J.K. Simmons? So it's got all that stuff, too. And you should check it out. But anyway, our thanks to Rory Kelly for joining us in the previous segment. Um, be sure to check out uh, her festival uh, we're gonna again. We're gonna put the Ladies in the House Music Festival form up online. Um, and my thanks to you as always for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.